Hello, welcome to Going Deeper. My name is Marcy Sklove, and today my guest is Paula Green, the founder of the Karuna Center for Peacebuilding. Paula is also an emerita uh, professor at um, the School for International Training up in Brattleboro, Vermont. The work that Paula's been doing is extensively on conflict transformation all over the world. And uh, recently, there was uh, an experience right here in Leverett, Massachusetts that we're going to be talking about. In 2009, Paula got an Unsung Hero of Compassion Award from the Dalai Lama, which is very beautiful. So welcome. Welcome Thank to the show. Happy to be here. Great. I want to jump right in and talk about uh, this Hands Across the Hills. Um, and I'll start with just a little quote that uh, Jay, what was his name? Jay Frost? Frost. He uh, wrote about it recently mm -hmm. also, and it was just so succinct. The purpose of this ongoing project is to directly address political differences that severely divide our country, to eliminate crippling stereotypes, and to find common ground while cutting through all the noise served up daily by politicians and the media. Great quote. Wow, isn't that a <laughs> great, great quote? Yeah. yeah. So tell us about how that came to be. And well, the backstory is that some years ago, my husband and I and three colleagues in Leverett founded the Leverett Peace Commission, which we did to protest one war or another, but there have been so many things to protest yeah. that I've lost track of what it was. After the election, we decided to call a meeting in the library for people in the town. We invited the entire town. About 60 people came, which was good for a small town. It was a month after the election and people really wanted to talk. Yeah. We formed the Leverett Alliance out of it. One of the committees on the Leverett Alliance was a bridging divides committee. Oh, nice. and, and the whole idea was exactly what Jay said, to try to reach out to people whose, whose votes and attitudes were not a match for the progressive votes and attitudes of most folks in Leverett. And we wanted to be able to talk to them, not to convert or to change, but to deepen understanding and to reduce our own stereotypes. Yeah. We tried to find some local groups, either in Leverett or in some of the towns around us that had large uh, Trump support in them. Mm -hmm. And we were not successful in yeah. finding a liaison who could introduce us into that community. In the meantime, we found this organization in Eastern Kentucky, which is coal country and Trump country. It's called Apple Shop, or Appalachia Shop. And it's a 50-year-old uh, cultural and economic development organization. And they have a guy there running their culture hub named Ben Fink, who's got a PhD in cultural studies, and thought what we were doing was really cool. Yeah. So we found a partner. Yeah, and we worked this yeah. out together. That's our backstory. That's amazing. I was lucky enough to be in the room with 300 other people uh, Saturday morning of the weekend mm -hmm. event, and that was the public event. And one of the first things that struck me was that this this young man, Ben Fink, mm -hmm. that these folks from Kentucky trusted him mm -hmm. and really like he was culturally from the north right jewish 
progressive. Academic. Academic. And yeah. for them to bring him into their fold right. so fully mm -hmm. was such a good sign that it would work with the Leverett yeah. people. And he was the first Jew they had ever met. Yeah. For yeah. many of them. So yeah. he really broke ground that made our work possible. Yeah. And one of the things I've learned from this whole project is that without a good partner on the other end, it's very hard to oh, develop. that's a great point. So we were, we were very fortunate. Yeah. And we hope in the future to reach out to local communities, and we hope we find such good partners wherever sure. we go. So I want to kind of dig into it a little bit. I'm imagining, because I was at the public event, I'm imagining that the smaller events that were just your group of how many? We're 18. 18 and 11. They were 11. Yeah. yeah. Um, and you were facilitating I designed that. and facilitated it. Yeah. So... What is that like, that, that facilitation? What, you know, how do you create the container? Okay. Well, fortunately, I've had a lifetime of experience doing this internationally yeah. and also doing work, other work in our own country. And I have a feel for how to put a program together that is a mix of actual dialogue moments and mm -hmm. other activities that support the dialogue. And from the beginning, I knew that our Kentucky guests would be frightened. Yeah. They were very brave to come here with their stereotypes about who we are and to stay in our homes, which is a very intimate thing to do. Sure. And so I tried to match carefully which Kentucky person came into which lever at home mm. according to interests and age, etc. And then I invited all the Leverett people to start with emails or phone calls to help people feel welcome. Yeah. yeah. So that already helps soften it. Additionally, I trained our Leverett people in basic communication and listening skills. Oh. And I sent all that material to Ben and he trained his wow. people. So we What's didn't, an example of that? We didn't start with a blank slate. We sure. started with a kind of nurturing environment that would bring people together with a little more ease. An example of that is um, learning to listen without interrupting, mm -hmm. learning to listen with your whole body, with your, with your whole interest, learning to speak in such a way that you're speaking for yourself, not for all people, not yeah. with political statements, not with things that are going to challenge and provoke, but to try to find the common ground between yeah. us. So we were predisposed to like each other mm -hmm. before we got together. They arrived late on Thursday night. We were waiting for them in town hall and they got out of the van and we went into the town hall and just began to do some exchange of names and and backgrounds and so forth. Yeah. And we had a woman who's a good friend of mine from Shelburne Falls named Sarah Pirtle, mm -hmm. who had written a song uh, welcoming them and she sang the song. Oh. And then of course we discovered that these Kentuckians are real singers. Sure. Some of them are very strong shape note singers. So they began to, this is 10 o'clock at night, and they began to sing. Oh, so it was already a little mushy from the very beginning. Yeah. Although yeah. there were many things we had to talk about. Yeah. We sent them home and on Friday morning we gathered in the mid morning and I did a lot of getting to know each other exercises. Mm -hmm. um, milling exercises and stand up if you have children or if you're one of 10 oh, kids okay. or if it's your first time in New England, et cetera. Beginning with very mild things, mm -hmm. not about Trump, not about politics, sure. but about all the I-Thou connections that we could build. Yeah. And then we had an art exercise to lead into our first dialogue. Wow. And the reason I chose that was because 
I wanted to find something that we could talk about with ease. Mm -hmm. And I thought our family stories and our family mm -hmm. of origin and our immigration history are things that we all have in common. And it would be a nice way to get to know each other. Yeah. And a wonderful artist in Leverett named Judith Inglesey mm -hmm. had done this with the whole town shortly after the election at one of our uh, gatherings, alliance gatherings. And we had all made little squares yeah. of paper that we decorated with stories about our families of origin and our immigration wow. stories. And they hang in the library. Oh my goodness. It's quite lovely. I'm have so to go I invited look at that. her to come to our initial dialogue session to introduce this. And they all made squares, which we're going to bring with us for yeah. them to hang in their own community oh, or library nice. when we go there in April. Sure, sure. So then we started talking about our family of origin stories, and we discovered a tremendous difference. Mm. They've all been in Kentucky for centuries. Yeah. And they don't know their family of origin stories. They know that the community is Scots-Irish, that's generally where Kentuckians came from, but their family of origin stories, when they came here, who came here, are lost to them. Yeah. So they don't have that, but we had at least half a dozen people who had Holocaust stories. Yeah. Parents, grandparents, great-grandparents, someplace in their family, others who came from different parts of Europe mm -hmm. with similar stories. Sure. And as they told them, people in our group began to cry. Mm. which was wonderful for the Kentuckians. Yeah. And one, one woman said, I've never met an immigrant or a refugee, but I've been taught to hate them. Yeah, that so is So there's shifting happens immediately. Sure. Like, oh, refugees really hurt. Yeah. Immigration is difficult. It's yeah. hard that you've left all your ancestors in Europe or Asia right. or Africa or the Mideast. Right or South America, so something began to shift in them. Mm. And one of the women said, I thought people like you, meaning uh -huh. us, uh -huh. didn't have any problems. Right. Oh my that gosh. was one of their stereotypes. Yeah, yeah. So that was a... So there could be like a jealousy built into the stereotype. That's right, sure, oh. because we're, you know, we're rich and we're powerful Perfect. and we're educated and, and we have no problems, yeah. as if suffering doesn't exist in every human family right. and being. Right, right. But that was her statement. And then they began to talk about their situation, which yeah. was what it's like to live in a coal community. Yeah. And then we began to feel the compassion for them. Sure. So there was this gorgeous exchange on day one wow. with all of this. That, that was a very deep opening. Yeah. And it was conscious. I, I, I worked on it for this to happen. That's it was incredible. designed. These things don't happen by accident. Sure. They happen by deliberate and careful, slowly building and building. Wow. Not starting with politics, not starting with differences. Right, right, right. I think that what I'm interested in in this interview is hearing about the process. Yeah. yeah. And I hope you've written about that or taught other people, you know, just exactly what are the steps that you take yeah. when you create such a place. Well, for next people. week we are having a gathering on December 11th. Yes. Um, because dozens of people said we want the backstory. We weren't there. What yeah. happens? How did you do yeah. it? So I'm going to do just what I'm doing with you, oh, talking about how the design was created and what made it what made it safe. Sure. Because safety is the, is the basic element exactly. of what makes this work. Yeah, yeah. 
So that's that's wow. how we that's how we entered the dialogue, and we didn't even talk about Trump until the second day. Right, and then so I was there the second day, mm -hmm. and that was the public thing. Yeah. Uh, and later, I know in the afternoon, it was again, you were together Yes, privately. we had three dialogues, one each day. And so how did the dialogues keep, you know, what are some more of the stories of the private parts? Okay, so Friday, we left off, we were doing this dialogue about our family of origin stories. Friday night, we did participatory theater exercises, some kind of games that would get us um, moving with each other and having fun. But it was also very serious because we did some spectrum exercises, which are, if you agree, you stand on this end, and if you disagree, you stand on that end. And we started out with liking chocolate ice cream, uh -huh. but we got around to, how do you feel about guns? Uh -huh. And there we saw a big difference. Do you feel safe if you have guns yeah. in your home, in your community? And we saw the spread. Wow. So it began lightly, but it also took on some serious yeah. aspects. We did some exercises in not listening, mm. in interrupting, to mm -hmm. remind people how difficult dialogue is if you interrupt. So yeah. we did a lot of that stuff. Yeah. And then Saturday morning, as you know, because you were there, we had this massive public event, and the Kentuckians made themselves so incredibly vulnerable I beyond I anything agree. I ever would have imagined. There was not a dry eye in the place. I know. From I the know. minute I got there, Sarah yeah. Pirtle's song, yeah. oh my gosh, just endlessly moving. I spoke yeah. to a woman the other night who got there late, and she said to me, when she looked up and down the road and saw hundreds of cars, she began to cry before she even walked in. Oh. Just the sense of how much people wanted something like this to happen and wow. what a gift it was for the community. Yeah. And what a gift it was for us that our entire community, sure. the whole valley turned out yeah. for this. It was such a beautiful yeah. demonstration of what people were concerned about right. and how much hope we want to have in this tough time. Yeah, and the respect of Stan Rosenberg came yeah. and was, I don't know if... The whole select board came, our whole town government came. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah, and people came from from Vermont, New Hampshire, Connecticut, yeah. New York. It was it was quite an event. Well, it's interesting too because I personally feel pretty uncomfortable with conflict uh -huh. and talking about yeah. conflict. But there was one woman who I connected with, and when she started to talk about the abortion issue, I knew that there was a place I could go personally with her mm -hmm. on that. And I was really sorry I didn't have the opportunity because we had to run out, you mm -hmm. know. But uh, yeah, some of those topics, it was like, okay, we're hearing your stuff, but there's also ways to respond mm -hmm. to what we're hearing yeah. and, and yeah. how to move into that dialogue yeah. further. She didn't expect to talk about that abortion. Yeah. She doesn't talk about it at home. She yeah. just, it, I think the chemistry between the audience and the Kentuckians right. was so enticing and yeah. so supportive that they felt they were, they were, first they were blown away by how many people came to, to hear us, us, who's us? Yeah. All your community came to hear us. Mm. And then the tenderness with which they were being held yeah. by the audience really enabled them to come forward with a lot more than they ever expected to. Sure. And, yeah. then, and then after that, we designed it so that we had this huge potluck for hundreds of people and that people could sit at a table with one or two Kentuckians mm. and it went on a long time because wow. there were great conversations were going on. Yeah, 
Yeah, I bet the whole town of Leverett wants to go down in the spring with you yeah. when you go. Yeah. So then, after everybody cleared out, we sat in a circle again, and I thought, now we can talk about Trump. Mm. Now we have enough juice between us, enough yeah. safety, enough tenderness, so that we can talk about the hard thing. Yeah. And we did, and we spent a long time talking about how we feel, how they feel, why they voted the way they did. Yeah. Yeah. And it was a one-issue vote. It was all about coal. Yeah, sure. Well, and this woman who, who spoke about the abortion said, coal put shoes on our baby's feet yeah. and food in their stomachs. And another aspect of her, and I almost, when I was thinking about us having this interview, I had this fantasy, which I didn't follow up on, of Skyping her in uh -huh. today. But... Uh, the thing about when she said that her family have been the laborers, but that they've never owned right. land or mm -hmm. anything, that they've always been like the workers, mm -hmm. the laborers, and yet they're, and they were uh, union yes. people. She's got a picture of John L. Lewis in her house, she said. Wow. They were total union people. Yeah. So the interesting part of keeping, you know, the the not being critical mm -hmm. of the of the whole thing, right. even though they were always sort of at the short end of the stick. Yeah. yeah. We've yeah. done most of us in our group have done a lot of reading in the past six months to get ready mm. for this, and we read a lot about the coal situation, and. I learned that these were company coal towns yeah. and they owned the little houses and people right. had to pay rent out of the money they were making. They owned the stores. Yeah. So they whatever they wanted to charge, people were stuck. There was no place to go. They owned the clinics. They either supplied yeah. or didn't supply the schools. Um, they so it was it was cradle to grave, but it wasn't very good care at all because the money was taken out. It was not only was the coal extracted, but the the goods were extracted. Yeah. The money that came from the coal was taken out by the coal barons. And before them, there were timber barons who did the same thing. Yeah. And wow. they got people who couldn't write to sign contracts with their thumb that gave away their land. Oh, my gosh. So it was, it was really rapacious. And yeah. what was strange to me was that despite the rapaciousness, there was loyalty to coal. Sure. But it's all they knew. Yeah. One yeah. one guy, Herbie, said in 1912 the trains came in, mm -hmm. and then the coal could be exported. Mm -hmm. So that was the beginning of big coal, yeah. and then it never stopped. So it was four generations of wow. people who knew only coal. Yeah. So they're loyal to it. And um, the other thing he said that impressed me was, people felt good about it. It was a job. It was a union job. Yeah. There was enough money. They could feed their families. And they were part of American patriotism because yeah. they were supplying coal for the nation. Yeah. So they had a little romantic idea about it. Yeah. Although on Friday when we talked personally, they had told us about all the people who died right. from black lung disease that and coal mining yeah. accidents and rocks falling on them and, and injury. And Terrible. They had all lost fathers, husbands, sons, brothers, husbands, yeah. all of them. The other so the aspect, loyalty is strange. Yeah, the other aspect I remember hearing, too, was as the coal companies have been receding now, all the services, the infrastructure that they have paid for over right. time in their, in their towns, right. 
So the elders, you know, the senior citizens don't get lunch yep. and the rubbish doesn't get it, picked exactly, up. Exactly. Oh my gosh. You yep. know, so it, it, it is. It doesn't end. It's, it's yeah. extracting yeah. everything. And, yeah. and the vote was Trump said he was going to bring back yeah. coal. And Hillary said she was going to close the coal mines. Right. She said other things, but that's all they heard. Right. It was a soundbite. And, and that great line uh, that Ben Fink said, you know, if you're, if you're going in to talk to the people in the synagogue, you don't bring the ham sandwich into the right. synagogue. And that her going to the next town right. and speaking about how she was going to close the coal mines was bringing the ham sandwich. Yep. Absolutely. Oh, my goodness. Absolutely. So you don't vote for the ham sandwich. No, yeah. you don't. So they, she lost all those votes. Yeah. And they're still, they're still hoping it's going to happen. Yeah. One of them said, every time we hear the rumble of a truck, we think, oh, coal's coming back. Oh, my it's hard. It's heartbreaking so, because there's no other industry there. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's what should happen, is figuring out how to bring other industry. That's right. Not high-tech industry. Not and that's part of what Ben is doing with this culture hub. And what they're talking oh. about is finding out what they've got there, their own resources, like their music, and starting music schools and music yeah. instrument making and producing movies and, and DVDs and CDs for their, their music. Yeah doing a little agriculture, you know, trying to find out what's there so that whatever they make stays in the community Wonderful. and it's not pulled out by an extractive Another barren. version of the whole sustainability. And right, and local locality. And local. Yeah. 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 Well, we just have, you know, not a whole ton of time, but you also just came back from Myanmar, yes. Burma. Yes. And... Um, can you tell us what that project is? It was more dialogue, and it was oh. it was very difficult. It was a little hard to go right from Kentucky and a few weeks later go to, to this Burma project, but yeah. it was an obligation, so of course I did it. And it was wonderful once I got there. And it was interfaith dialogue, so I had hmm. Christians, Muslims, Buddhists, and Hindus hmm. mixed in the group. And I had two groups of 25 each. It was altogether six days of dialogue, so different days, different groupings. Wow. And uh, these were people whose, whose government is doing everything to divide them and pull them apart. Yeah. And we're doing whatever we can to bring them together. Sure. And, and it was the same principle as the Kentucky work, finding ways for people to tell their stories and their lives to each other in such a way as to build empathy and compassion and reduce negative stereotypes, wow. which are rampant. And unfortunately, social media is playing a big role in dividing people. Yeah. So, so we um, had a lot of work to do, and it was very worthwhile. So what's the breakdown in terms of populations? <coughs> are, are there many? It's over 90% Buddhist. It's Buddhist. a Buddhist country. And yeah. then there are small minorities of Muslim, Christian, Hindu, Hindu. Baha'i. Uh -huh. Sikh, tiny minorities, okay. and, and most of these people were brought over by the British when they had the British Empire. Oh, I see. They, sure. they owned Burma and they owned India, Pakistan. Yeah. And they brought in coolies to oh, do the work. Okay. And now, a hundred years later, these are the families. Wow. <coughs> so they're um, they're still there and they're being mistreated. They're yeah. being denied citizenship in many cases. Oh, gosh. And did you once again have a partner? Yes, over local there? people on the ground. Yes. Yeah, that's yeah. that's amazing. Yeah. 
Are you, I know you're somewhat, you're not the director of Karuna. No, I stepped down as director. Yeah, yeah, but still you're very I'm much. I'm a consultant okay. now to the organization and a supporter and very concerned about it and always will be. But it's now in second generation hands, which is a good thing. Which is a good thing, That's, but you're still doing on. some of the, you know, <coughs> on the ground. Yes, especially when there's a project in a country where I have a lot of experience okay. and nobody on the current staff has that experience. Okay. And I yeah. started to work in Burma when it was called Burma, now it's Myanmar, yeah. 30 years ago. Yeah. So I have a long history there, so I was the right person for that job. And you brought someone along that um, you, from I brought Karuna? along one of my former students who's from the country uh -huh. and who I've been training for many years in nurturing. Wow. She's a wonderful facilitator yeah. now. That was oh. lovely for me. Yeah, yeah. that's great. Yeah. Well, I think we'll stop part one here. Okay. Thank you so much for all the enthusiasm, too, about this project locally. That's really quite something. And we will return in part two with this interview with Paula Green and from the Karuna Center. Thank you. Thank you. When I was a little boy on my mama's knee She said, son, let me tell you about that bad staggerly She said, son, he was a bad man Lord, the bad as man I know well, he killed Billy Lyons with a blue steel 44.